0: Section 61 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 92. London, November 27th, Old Style, 1749. Dear Boy, While the Roman Republic flourished, while glory was pursued, and virtue practiced, and while even little irregularities and indecencies, not cognizable by law, were, however, not thought below the public care, censors were established, discretionally to supply, in particular cases, the inevitable defects of the law, which must and can only be general. This employment I assume to myself with regard to your little republic, leaving the legislative power entirely to Mr. Hart. I hope and believe that he will seldom, or rather never, have occasion to exert his supreme authority, and I do by no means suspect you of any faults that may require that interposition. But to tell you the plain truth, I am of opinion that my sensorial power will not be useless to you, nor a sinecure to me. The sooner you make it both, the better for us both. I can now exercise this employment only upon hearsay, or at most written evidence, and therefore shall exercise it with great leniety and some diffidence. But when we meet, and that I can form my judgment upon ocular and auricular evidence, I shall no more let the least impropriety, in decorum, or irregularity pass uncensored, than my predecessor Cato did. I shall read you with the attention of a critic, not with the partiality of an author, different in this respect indeed from most critics, that I shall seek for faults only to correct and not to expose them. I have often thought, and still think, that there are few things which people in general know less than how to love and how to hate. They hurt those they love by a mistaken indulgence, by a blindness, nay, often, by a partiality to their faults. Where they hate they hurt themselves, by ill-timed passion and rage. Fortunately for you, I never loved you in that mistaken manner. From your infancy I made you the object of my most serious attention, and not my plaything. I consulted your real good, not your humours or fancies, and I shall continue to do so while you want it, which will probably be the case during our joint lives. For considering the difference of our ages in the course of nature, you will hardly have acquired experience enough of your own, while I shall be in condition of lending you any of mine. People in general will much better bear being, told of their vices or crimes, than of their little failings and weaknesses. They, in some degree, justify or excuse, as they think, the former, by strong passions, seductions, and artifices of others. But to be told of, or to confess, their little failings and weaknesses, implies an inferiority of parts too mortifying to that self love and vanity which are inseparable from our natures. I have been intimate enough with several people to tell them that they had said or done a very criminal thing, but I never was intimate enough with any man to tell him very seriously that he had said or done a very foolish one. Nothing less than the relation between you and me can possibly authorize that freedom, but fortunately for you, my parental rights, Join to my sensorial powers, give it me in its fullest extent, and my concern for you will make me exert it. Rejoice, therefore, that there is one person in the world who can and will tell you what will be very useful to you to know, and yet what no other man living could or would tell you. Whatever I shall tell you of this kind, you are very sure, can have no other motive than your interest. I can neither be jealous nor envious of your reputation or fortune, which I must be both desirous and proud, to establish and promote. I cannot be your rival either in love or in business. On the contrary, I want the rays of your rising to reflect new lustre upon my setting light. In order to this, I shall analyse you minutely, and censure you freely, that you may not, if possible, have one single spot, when in your meridian. There is nothing that a young fellow, at his first appearance in the world, has more reason to dread, and consequently should take more pains to avoid than having any ridicule fixed upon him. It degrades him with the most reasonable part of mankind, but it ruins him with the rest, and I have known many a man undone by acquiring a ridiculous nickname. I would not, for all the riches in the world, that you should acquire one when you return to England. Vices and crimes excite hatred and reproach. Failings, weaknesses, and awkwardnesses excite ridicule. They are laid hold of by mimics, who, though very contemptible wretches themselves, often by their buffoonery fix ridicule upon their betters. The little defects in manners, elocution, address, and air, and even a figure, though very unjustly, are the objects of ridicule, and the causes of nicknames. You cannot imagine the grief it would give me, and the prejudice it would do you, if by way of distinguishing you from others of your name, you should happen to be called muttering Stanhope, absent Stanhope, ill-bred Stanhope, or awkward, left-legged Stanhope. Therefore, take great care to put it out of the power of ridicule itself to give you any of these ridiculous epithets, for if you get one, it will stick to you like the envenomed shirt. The very first day that I see you, I shall be able to tell you, and certainly shall tell you, what degree of danger you are in, and I hope that my admonitions as censor may prevent the censures of the public. Admonitions are always useful— is this one or not you are the best judge it is your own picture which i send you drawn at my request by a lady at venice pray let me know how far in your conscience you think it like for there are some parts of it which i wish may and others which i should be sorry were i send you literally the copy of that part of her letter to her friend here which relates to you in compliance to your orders i have examined young stanhope carefully and think i have penetrated into his character this is his portrait which i take to be a faithful one his face is pleasing his countenance sensible and his look clever his figure is at present rather too square but if he shoots up which he has matter and years for he will then be of a good size he has undoubtedly a great fund of acquired knowledge i am assured that he is master of the learned languages as for french i know he speaks it perfectly and, I am told, German as well. The questions he asks are judicious, and denote a thirst after knowledge. I cannot say that he appears equally desirous of pleasing, for he seems to neglect attentions and the graces. He does not come into a room well, nor has he that easy, noble carriage, which would be proper for him. It is true he is as yet young and inexperienced. One may therefore reasonably hope that his exercises— which he has not yet gone through, and good company, in which he is still a novice, will polish, and give all that is wanting to complete him. What seems necessary for that purpose would be an attachment to some woman of fashion, and who knows the world. Some Madame de Lercey would be the proper person. In short, I can assure you that he has everything which Lord Chesterfield can wish him, excepting that carriage, those graces, and the style used in the best company, which he will certainly acquire in time and by frequenting the polite world. If he should not, it would be great pity, since he so well deserves to possess them. You know their importance. My lord his father knows it too, he being master of them all. To conclude, if little Stanhope acquires the graces, I promise you he will make his way. If not, he will be stopped in a course, the goal of which he might attain with honour. Tell Mr. Hart that I have this moment received his letter of the 22nd New Style and that I approve extremely of the long stay you have made at Venice. I love long residences at capitals. Running posts through different places is a most unprofitable way of travelling, and admits of no application. Adieu. You see by this extract of what consequence other people think these things. Therefore I hope you will no longer look upon them as trifles. It is the character of an able man to despise little things in great business. But then he knows what things are little and what not." He does not suppose things are little, because they are commonly called so, but by the consequences that may or may not attend them. If gaining people's affections and interesting their hearts in your favor be of consequence, as it undoubtedly is, he knows very well that a happy concurrence of all those commonly called little things, manners, air, address, graces, etc., is of the utmost consequence, and will never be at rest till he has acquired them. THE WORLD IS TAKEN BY THE OUTSIDE OF THINGS, AND WE MUST TAKE THE WORLD AS IT IS. YOU NOR I CANNOT SET IT RIGHT. I KNOW AT THIS TIME A MAN OF GREAT QUALITY AND STATION, WHO HAS NOT THE PARTS OF A PORTER, BUT RAISED HIMSELF TO THE STATION HE IS IN, SINGLY BY HAVING A GRACEFUL FIGURE, POLITE MANNERS, AND AN ENGAGING ADDRESS, WHICH, BY THE WAY, HE ONLY ACQUIRED BY HABIT, FOR HE HAD NOT SENSE ENOUGH TO GET THEM BY REFLECTION. PARTS AND HABITS SHOULD CONSPIRE TO COMPLETE YOU you will have the habit of good company and you have reflection in your power end of section 61 read by professor heather and by for more free audiobooks or to volunteer please visit librivox.org